Hi there, you are listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. My name's Matt Wakeling. Thank you so much for joining me for episode number 142. Now, I hope you're keeping safe and well wherever you are. Today, I'm joined by Sydney-based guitarists and brothers, Zane Banks and Jai Perry Banks. They are two of the most electrifying young guitar players in Australia right now. These brothers tell of a musically rich upbringing and subsequent careers in the music industry. Working both together and individually, these guys are in high demand and get across many, many styles such as country, western swing, jazz, rock, blues, pop, art music, lots and lots of stuff. Zane attained his PhD through the Conservatorium of Music in Sydney, researching the use of electric guitar in contemporary art music. He premiered Ingwe, the solo electric guitar work composed by Georges Lentz, and he won the ABC Limelight Newcomer of the Year Award in 2011. Jai completed a Masters in Tuba performance, also at the Sydney Con, before throwing himself into learning the pedal steel guitar. He's now highly in demand, working with Charlie Collins, Casey Chambers, Julian Day, and many other artists. Jai is also a Fender artist. This was a really great conversation, covering a lot of ground from making a career in Sydney, especially during the current climate, picking up gigs, learning new instruments, new styles, gear, all sorts of stuff. Let's jump straight in. Jai Banks and the Dr. Zane Banks, welcome to the Guitar Speak podcast. Thank you for having us. Thanks so much, man. Man, I've, I've been looking forward to this. Um, I was just saying before before hitting red, um, I don't think I've met a pair of guitarists quite like you guys who are just so equally steeped in contemporary art music, but also uh, country jazz and all its various intersections and offshoots and, and folk music. And without doubt, the pair of you are the best dressed guitar players in Australia. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, thanks, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so let's, I think we just need to go back. What what on earth was going on at home musically for you guys? There was a lot of it. A yeah. lot of it. Like mum and dad met when they were studying classical music at the Conservatorium of Sydney. Okay. And then were music teachers and musicians. Uh, they still, well, pre-COVID, they still used to perform even though they retired. So there was just all types of music that was on yeah. at home. And right from, you know, earliest days, I can remember either the radio or Joni Mitchell, Crosby, Stills and Nash, or they would take us to see the Rite of Spring at the Opera House. So we had a bit of a head start with that sort of uh, yeah. um, the music thing, which was definitely helpful. And I think just having like stuff lying around the house, like there'd be harmonicas lying around the house. So we'd share our saliva there, you know, Zane would blow on the harmonica and then I'd be like, oh, that looks great. You know, uh-huh. I'm going to use the same one. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> no, just like always guitars laying about. So it was very accessible just to be able to, uh, you know, get your hands on an instrument, which probably a lot of kids don't have. So we're quite privileged, I suppose, to have that opportunity. Sure. And what, what was, um, what are your parents playing or what, you know, pre-COVID, what were your parents gigging? What's their main instruments and current musical output? Yeah. My parents both studied piano at the con. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think my mum did voice as well. 
But when they would just play in bands, because they used to play in like a blues band before we were born, my mum would play bass in that band and sing. And my dad was on keys playing like a, a Wurlitzer and a Hammond. And so I think they'd um, reverted back to playing a lot of that kind of 60s, 70s blues, rock, soul repertoire, but yeah. in, you know, their sort of um, post-retirement gigging sort of life, I think Dad had traded the, the Hammond for a ukulele or a, yeah. a half-size guitar because it's a little bit easier to it's move around. It's a much better lug. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think the other thing, like, um, uh, like Kurt's mum and dad were um, classically trained. I think the, the thing that, like, looking back at it, where... Um, we probably benefited from that. It's just like the practice routine okay. of having like, you know, if a, if a kid just starts guitar, but their parents don't have um, any musical knowledge, like practice doesn't really happen that much. Just through my experience being like a private tutor. Yeah, I sure. think like a lot of the time, because I also play tuba, my mum was like, you need to do your 40 minutes tuba practice, like, you know, when I was in year seven. And I hated it. Like, the last thing I wanted to do was practice tuba on a Tuesday afternoon. Uh-huh. And then, no, I had to do. But it's that kind of like, um, it's uh, the routine and the habits, I think, which like, it, yeah, it would be hard to have obtained that if I, if our parents weren't musical. So, you know, we're just very fortunate to have had that kind of um set up and when i have children i'd like to do the same kind of thing you know it just means that there was assistance available i mean of course this is before youtube existed so yeah you know i know that there would be times where i would have a guitar lesson and there was a concept that perhaps was a little bit beyond me but i didn't have to wait a whole week before i could ask a question or address it i could sort of ask my parents like oh what what do you mean by like compound time or what exactly is like the key signature for this and they go oh it's just that and they would explain it and i mean it was a double-edged sword so you'd be practicing scales or something and mum would be maybe cutting up tomatoes and she'd be like that's not d major it has a c sharp in it so you couldn't get away with anything but it also meant that uh you know you you learnt your key signatures you learnt your scales and you just got a very thorough musical education that's cool. Yeah. So, Jai, you're saying um, tuba and, and guitars were the main starting point yeah. for you? Yeah. yeah. Totally, man. Yeah. It's, um, so, for the tuba, I, I've started that halfway through year five. And um, then for the guitar, I started that, I think, in year four. And uh, then I actually didn't study guitar. I studied the tuba. Mm-hmm. And I got a, a master's on the tuba from Sydney Con, awesome. which... Isn't a degree that you hear about too much. No. You're um, the first one on the Guitar Speak podcast, actually. I'm pretty sure. I'll check. Yeah. But I'm pretty I'll sure. Probably, I'll probably be the last one, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool, man. Um, but, yeah, so it's kind of like that was, um, you know, an interesting avenue to go into. Like, and a lot of people are like, oh, why are you doing that? Like, and I, initially I wanted to join, like, a big orchestra in Europe and play tuba in, you know, Berlin or you know Munich or something like that yeah. playing the German orchestra but then um, I just came to the realization that that's not actually really what I wanted to do I, I I wanted to be I wanted to play country music and blues and rock like you know but I you know and that that's why I 
I didn't end up pursuing the orchestral path after sure. my studies. Okay. Yeah. You know, so sort of detour. Yeah. How about you, Zane? What was the what were the early instruments? Oh, it's only ever been guitar. Okay. Uh, I was born in '86, I think, which would have been the zenith of the guitar and popular culture. And so my earliest memories of music and just pop culture from when I was, I don't know, three or four would be turning on Rage and seeing Guns N' Roses film clips or Nirvana. And uh, just, you know, dad would bring home music the kids were listening to at the time. So this would be the late 80s, early 90s. And there would just be like a Use Your Illusion sort of album there or Nevermind and just hearing it and it being one of those eureka moments just like the opening chords of smells like teen spirit as a five-year-old is like wow yes i need i need more of this <laughs> yeah awesome. and since there were guitars around i would sort of pick them up or i'd pretend on a tennis racket and then eventually when i was nine i think it was my mom said oh like would you like guitar lessons and i was okay. like oh yes please and so that's basically where it started and uh we, we went to, both of us went to a great guitar teacher in Balmain, Mark Williams, who I'm sure still takes on students if you're in the Balmain area. Nice. And he was just great. Like, we got along really well with him. He was an old friend of mum and dad's from back when they used to gig in Balmain, when there was a really great live music scene in Balmain. And uh, he was very good at just making it fun. You know, I, it was the highlight of the week, going to a guitar lesson on a Friday afternoon. It was better yeah, than totally. playing soccer. Yeah. It was better than going to a friend's house because Mark just made it fun. Yeah, he'd give and, you, yeah, amazing. Yeah, and he was also the person who really instilled the concept of being versatile. You know, he would just, uh, in a very casual way, say, oh, check out this style or check out this guitar player with no expectation or wouldn't force you to be into it. And then I, I know for myself, and I think Joe's probably similar, you'd listen to him uh, and go, wow, that's, that's amazing, you know. Yeah. I want to hear more of that. Yeah. So that's kind of where it started okay. for, for me. Yeah. And I think the other thing, uh, which uh, our first feature was really good at, it's just kind of like instilling from an early age, like if you want to be a professional musician, you're not always going to be playing stuff that you want to be playing. You know, like, and his, his classic quote was, I'm crying all the way to the bank. You know, because like <laughs> yeah, yeah. some people, like, you know, I've had like a bunch of professional musicians say to me, oh, you can't be um, a professional musician and teach guitar. And like, I, I just take it. I'm just like, whatever. And I'm just like, man, I'm just a smart professional musician that knows that they need to pay rent and they also want to live a good lifestyle. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't get into the argument. I just like, I'm like, yeah, cool, man, That that that's fine. And that they're entitled to that opinion, but I'm just like, it's all about being versatile and like, you know, half the gigs that I do or recordings I do wouldn't be things that I'd write myself. But like, I do understand that, you know, you like, it's a job, you know what I mean? And you put in integrity and passion and love into everything you do, even if it's not something that you'd choose to do yourself. You know what I mean? It's like that being a professional like being a tradie, like you turn up to the job, you get the job done. You know, of course, you don't want to be changing washers, but like, you know, you do it with detail and professionalism. And that's kind of like what our teacher told us to, you know. Yeah, awesome. That's that's such a key, especially in um, the current climate or the climate of the last 10, 20 years that you've 
you guys have grown up into and started working to, you know, to make a living as a musician. Yeah. You've got to have a lot of plates spinning. Um, yeah. You know, that's, it's not the 1% people on the front of the guitar player magazine. Uh, <laughs> I know. <man. laughs> I feel like, you know, we were kind of sold a lie because, you know, growing up in, in the eighties and the nineties, you did see evidence like records were still king, you know, the yes. internet yep. and downloading wasn't a thing. So people, if you got an advance for a record company, it was a lot of money. And if you sold a million records, that wasn't a million streams. It was like a million times $29, which you yeah. got a portion of, but it's yeah. still a lot of money. Yeah. And so the people that were of the generation above us or of our parents' generation used to talk about like, oh, you know, teaching. We don't teach. We just play seven nights a week. The money's yeah. great. There's heaps of gigs. Pokies yeah. weren't a thing. Yeah. yeah. And then gradually as we got closer to being, you know, like legal adults so we could go and play in bars, there was just like no gigs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the guitar wasn't a thing anymore in yeah. popular music because yeah. the Britneys had gone through. Yeah, And yeah. now you get to this sort of, you know, there's still this romantic notion of like living in, you know, Hollywood Hills and just playing in a rock band and like trying to be like Slash. But, yeah. Yeah. you know, you've got to have a finger in a whole bunch of different pies in yeah. order to actually just survive in such an expensive city. Yeah. 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 It's not that rock and roll. No, all, all that stuff. All the above. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why I love seeing what you guys are doing. You're incredible musicians. You've worked so hard to. To, to make the most of your talents and then to see you guys making a living and doing some really interesting stuff. I just think it's the best. So oh, thank you. Congratulations Thanks. to you both for still being able to buy food and feed children <laughs> and all the stuff yeah. you're doing. <laughs> it, totally, man. It's not easy in Sydney. <laughs> Zane, you went on to, you both studied the conservatorium. Zane, you did your PhD mm-hmm. there with, Matthew Heinsohn. In fact, this is where I first became aware of you. I heard you on um, the music show, the ABC oh. music show with oh, right. Andrew Ford, um, yep. which was the first and original sort of podcast that I got hooked on. And uh, I, loved his, <laughs> I loved his writing as well. Um, yeah, it's great. But tell me about your, your area of, of uh, the, the main focus of your PhD, Zane. So I was on the role of the electric guitar in contemporary art music, mm-hmm. and I arrived at that uh, topic. So the backstory to getting there was when I was about, I guess, 11, I think my parents could see the writing on the wall that I love music so much, I love the guitar, that there was a high likelihood I'd want to study at a tertiary level. But only being able to sort of improvise and play like, you know, mid-century American genres of music there weren't a lot of avenues to study at a tertiary level other than jazz. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to go down the university um, sort of course route, sure. not yeah. um, private colleges. So they said I should get classical guitar lessons, which I did. And I fell in love with the classical guitar and had a very thorough classical education. And then I got to you know year 12, finished my HSC, and I auditioned for the con as a classical guitarist. And I also auditioned in a jazz course. And I got in. And I selected to be a classical guitar major because it meant that you got, uh, I guess, a schooling in a thousand years of musical history, harmony, you know, and the like. Okay. And then I took my jazz units as well. And so I did, you know, jazz improvisation, arrangement, uh, played in the different bands. And then when I was in first year, my classical guitar teacher, Greg Pickler, who was the head of guitar there for about 35 years, said that there was a composer 
who was from Luxembourg, who happens to be in the Sydney Symphony Orchestra, a guy called George Lentz, who wanted to just meet up with a classical guitar player who had knowledge of the electric guitar. And would I be interested? And I said, yeah, sure, you know, why not? And we met up and he said, look, I want to write this really big piece, but I don't know a lot about the electric guitar. It's quite confusing coming from a violin background. Can you help me sort of navigate just some of the idiosyncrasies of the instrument, how to notate for it, and just the concepts of pedals and amps? And we sort of ended up collaborating for about two years, and he wrote this enormous um, guitar piece called Ingwi, which is like 60 minutes of unaccompanied electric guitar. Yeah. And that's how I ended up in the contemporary classical world. You know, I was already in the classical world. And it meant that I got to sort of play in Europe a bunch of times at some festivals and got to play with orchestras because there are not a lot of electric guitarists who can read or follow a conductor. Yeah. And then when I finished, <clears throat> pardon me, when I finished my undergraduate degree, I had thought I, I would like to go on and do a PhD. And I, I really love the music of J.S. Bach, but, you know, finding an angle on his stuff is very difficult these days. And so I thought, oh, well, you know, there's not a lot of stuff about the contemporary electric guitar in classical music. And that is how I arrived at that um, that topic. And so I looked at how it actually became an instrument um, that was used in contemporary classical music, you know, in the sort of post-war European um, musical uh, scene. Uh, I did interviews with, I think it was like 50 composers about their experience. Wow. So there were, there were three or four sections of my thesis. And the ultimate goal is to have, uh, I guess, a manual that composers can go to. So, you know, George and I were lucky that we were in the same city and we mm -hmm. could just meet up on a Saturday for a couple of, you know, years. But not every composer is going to have that. So hopefully now with my thesis, they can go and read the advice of other composers. They can hear about my experience with George, my advice to them. And that's essentially what my thesis is. Okay, <laughs> awesome. I think, I think you're definitely adding to the literature to, to coin the academic yeah. phrase. That's fantastic. I hope so. Yeah, man. <laughs> I had um, Joseph Tambua on the show a couple of episodes ago, a couple of mm -hmm. weeks ago. I don't know if you know Joseph. He's doing a PhD out at WSU. Um, oh, yeah. And he's, he's an electric guitarist, rock background, but has gone into the art world as well. And he's looking at yeah. intersections between minimalism and uh, oceanic music because he's got a, a part huh? Fijian heritage. Um, yeah, right. And I was asking him, I said, do you think there's enough um, research on the electric guitar in, in art music? And the first thing he says was, you should, you should check out Zane Banks' work. Um, so I'll ask you the same question, Zane. Is there enough uh, research? No, not at all. Well, yeah. I think when I did, I finished my doctorate in 2013. Mm -hmm. And when I started, which was five years prior to that, there were like six PhDs published on the topic. Wow. And they, um, you know, there were a few that sort of looked at very specific sections of like, it might be a piece that involved the electric guitar. Okay. There wasn't anything that had a, an overview of the instrument so it was wonderful in the sense that like one of the hardest things when writing a phd is the whole point is to contribute to knowledge and to mm. literature yeah so if you're going to do something on bach or beethoven in which there's thousands of phds over the last you know 200 years 
you would have to find something really, really specific about, you know, yeah. the interpretation of, you know, appoggiaturas in late Bach and what that means in his secular vocal music. Mm-hmm. But with this topic, there was nothing. So you could just basically pick whatever you wanted to do. The only problem is you had to create the source material. Okay, so, yeah. You've got to go and interview people and then you've got to analyze the interviews, which is really fascinating, but very time consuming. So it was like two years of doing exactly what we're doing now, except getting up at two o'clock in the morning to interview, you know, a Dutch composer and then go through exactly and analyze it using sort of, um, uh, I guess things that they use in psychology where you're very careful about the type of questions that you ask. So you're not leading um, the answer. Yeah. Uh, letting the research speak, yeah. and uh, yeah, it was great. You know, I, I would, I'd love to do if I had the time right now. I would love to do another PhD. Yeah. Awesome, man. The um, yeah, I guess so. The idea of the literature review for you was was non-existent. Yeah, there wow. wasn't much. Wow, amazing, amazing. You know, there's even less though on the tuba. <laughs> Tell me your story, Joe. What what happened with uh? So you had your masters. With a tuba, yeah. tuba um, uh, focus? Yeah. So, uh, well, um, uh, similar to Zane, kind of like, um, but like on a different instrument, I kind of, you know, followed a similar trajectory. Um, so I did an honours degree where I had to write a thesis on the tuba. And I did, uh, my honours thesis was done on um, the tuba repertoire. Um, so... It was kind of like only had to be 10,000 words. It was like pretty short uh, when it comes to like a thesis. Sure. Um, yeah. It ended up being about 30,000 words just because it <laughs> like that's just what happens. Um, so I, that wasn't like really groundbreaking. It was just kind of uh, looking at repertoire that was out there and parallels between them, the like concertos and, um, you know, why the tuba hadn't been written for and a lot of history. Uh, on the tuba but then um my master's thesis that was a lot more interesting because I had like my scope was a lot bigger and um it looked at the emerging um Australian tuba sound and just like it actually relates to the guitar too but like uh with the tuba uh, or with Australia because we're such a young country where it's like you know we always pride ourselves on being multicultural because you know like, what is Australian at the end of the day? Like, it's not uniquely American or uniquely British. It's just like, you know, we've got Korean, Japanese, Italian. Like, it's the melting pot. And we're not very set in our tradition. There's not an Australian tradition. So with the Australian tuba sound, um, unlike the German tuba sound or the American tuba sound or the British tuba sound, performers can really do whatever they want they can have their influences can be from, you know, three different cultures. Um, and that actually really changes how our orchestras sound and it changes like ensembles and like in so many different approaches, like cause the German tradition is so strong and you can only use certain tubers when you play in Germany mm-hmm. and in England, it's the same way, but here it's like, we put it all together. It's a massive mash. Wow. And yeah, it's kind of like talking about is there an Australian voice for the tuba? That's and awesome. by, so that's a really blank of, slate as well, then similar to I guess Zane's experience. Yeah, definitely, wow, man. Cool. Yeah, it's um, 
Well, it, it, it had never been done before, um, this research. And um, I, I don't know, probably only three or four people have read it since I've done it, but <laughs> <laughs> whatever. I, I had fun doing it and I had to do all these recitals playing, you know, an hour on the tuba, wow, which is incredibly hard. Yeah. Um, not, not only is it just like learning an hour's worth of like, you know, repertoire, but uh, it's very tiring playing the tuba. Um, sure. Kind of like stamina wise, it's like you need to, you know, it's like being a marathon runner, but with your, with your mouth, you know, you've <laughs> got to be practicing seven hours a day. And if, Crazy. if you don't do that, you just, you, you won't perform like you won't get through it. So it's, uh, um, but yeah, that's kind of my, uh, that's, that's my academic journey. journey. So how do you end up shredding on a pedal steel? Uh, <laughs> Where does this... very... <laughs> it was an ultimatum. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll let you tell this story. Okay. Zane loves this. Yeah. Quite proud so, of <laughs> we love country music and our parents liked country music. So, yeah. It was on, we grew up around it and uh, the pedal steel wasn't something new, but, uh, and I'd wanted to play the pedal steel for a while. And I remember being in the US, I don't know, 15 years ago and I bought, you know, like a Carter starter, which is like the Squire Strat. Okay. Tinkered a little bit on it, but I have such a, a sort of obsessive perfectionist kind of personality that I know that if I really get into something like that's it, I just, everything else, the the sort of tunnel vision comes out. Yeah. And so I spent a couple of weeks really working on the steel and then just stepped back because I didn't want to, you know, let all of the guitar practice I'd done over the years <laughs> go. Uh-huh. And so I sat there kind of collecting dust. But this was about, oh, I don't know, seven or eight years ago when country music was really starting to make a resurgence globally, but in urban areas, whereas before you were just sort of like, you know, apologetically or, or you wouldn't <laughs> tell someone you like country music. Yeah, yeah. Whereas now it's just, it's cool, you know, yeah, to be yeah. a, a country music fan. And we were, Jai and I were in Montreal and he was looking at buying a secondhand Subaru WRX. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like, that is just such a waste of your money. Like, you buy the WRX. Like, well, I mean, you don't know what it's like buying a secondhand car. Yeah, yeah. And um, I said, you know, if you really want to get, you know, a return on your money, buy a good pedal steel. You know how to play the guitar. You know, you've got the aptitude to teach yourself how to do it. There is... There's no one doing it. Like there's Michelle Rose, who's the you know yeah. the king of the pedal steel, yeah. and I guess the Southern Hemisphere, mm. and a few other guys, Tommy Grasso, Damien O'Dell, but they're really spread out, and some of them have full-time jobs that are not in the music industry. So you're a young guy. There's lots of young artists who want to need a pedal steel player. Do it. And yeah. basically, like you know, didn't buy the WRX. <laughs> got a an Emmons Lashley the Grand two or whatever they're called and the geeks just haven't stopped so you can yeah. thank me later joe yeah no i've already thought thank you many times but <laughs> thanks again <laughs> that is very good brotherly advice i gotta say yeah exactly i probably I mean, it can. means that i get to live vicariously through him as a frustrated steel guitarist oh man so. that's nice that's super yeah. nice yeah probably wouldn't be alive if i got the wrx i would have wrapped myself around a tree it's possible it's so. possible <laughs> Actually, I saw on Instagram you got a nice blue, uh, like kind of four-wheel drive thing now. 
Oh, yeah, Subaru too. A Subaru, nice, congrats. Yeah, you Subaru. kept it Subaru. It's not a WRX, but it's a family car because we're expecting a, Congratulations, a little boy. Congratulations, man, that's awesome. Oh, thanks, man. That's awesome. I saw that too on Insta. It's it's weird meeting you today, but I already know you're expecting. But yeah, that's that's, totally, where we're, that's how we're living. But that's cool, man. Good on you. And there's room for a, room for a, a console and a baby seat in that kind of car. Exactly. Yes, it's very practical. <laughs> yeah. Joe, what, what were the mechanics? Um, so you knew guitar, but pedal steel's another world. I'll actually, when Zane, when you mentioned Michelle Rose, um, probably about, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, I was lucky enough to sit in on a session he was playing, and it just blew my tiny mind. It was all hands and feet and knees. I didn't know there were knees involved. Um, yeah. Joe, how did you, how'd you get across that? Uh well, I destroyed a relationship doing it. That's, uh, okay. that's probably the most important thing. <laughs> uh, Which is why I didn't do it, right? I'm still happily married. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, so I'll take you through the journey, man. So it's kind of like you get a steel and it's kind of like, you know, the basic foundation of pedal steel is you have um, pedals and you have knee levers. So on, on my guitar, I have... 10 pedals which are operated by your left foot mm-hmm. and those pedals raise and lower the pitch of strings by a semitone or a tone okay so that's all operated by your left foot so uh for all of you listening maybe just imagine that like maybe shut your eyes and be like okay left foot is operating eight pedals I'm you're right dizzy. what's that man i'm already dizzy just, just yeah yeah <laughs> totally right well get ready you're gonna get very dizzy <laughs> Um, and then the right foot um, operates your volume pedal or your swell pedal. Of course, that's so, vital, yeah. And that is like half of the instrument. Without a swell pedal, the yeah. instrument is not what it – it just doesn't sound like a pedal steel. So yeah. that's what your your feet are doing. Okay. Then your knees, on both of your knees, you have – I've got 10 knee levers on my guitar. So if you put your – left knee left you um raise your e strings to an f so that's if you're sitting um like in the in the backwards position but if you're sitting in a forward position you'll hit another knee lever which will lower your g sharps to a g and then it will lower them to an f sharp so that's like with your left leg going left you can change two different strings okay and then on top of that uh you have two vertical knee levers so if you push your leg up your left leg up you can go from a chord four major to a chord four minor and you can also drop your second string as well okay so that's just the left foot left and uh vertically then there's left foot right so I won't take you through all of it because it's just a bit boring. But <laughs> I think um, the, the important thing, sorry yeah. to jump in here, Joe, no, to right. mention for, like, say, guitar players who might be used to the concepts of, like, a lap steel or yeah. a slide guitar, like what you see John Butler do on his yeah, lap, yeah. is that, you know, if you're playing just with a slide or with a, a bar slide, it's essentially just like playing with one finger, like in drop D. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, if you look at a bar chord, you have one finger, but then the other fingers come up and they get the other notes. Okay. If you play 
on a lap steel, you're in an open tuning, but you can only get that major chord. You can't change it. And so the pedals were actually, the concept was borrowed from an orchestral harp, which only has open strings, but there are seven pedals on an orchestral harp yeah, that have yeah. three positions with sharp, yeah. neutral, and flat. And so what our fingers would do on the guitar playing a bar chord, you know, your middle finger, your ring finger, and your pinky, that's what you would use pedals and knee levers for in order wow. to do yeah. that stuff. Wow, man. Yeah. So when you think about it like that, you're just using your pedals to do what fingers would do. It makes sense. Yeah. But if you try to give someone a lesson on the steel and you, you read out the spiel of what I did, it, it is, you know, like it's the equivalent of just reciting huge prime numbers or pi or something. It's like, you know, pure <laughs> math. It's, it's so yeah. abstract. Yeah. And confronting that people go oh i'm not going to bother but when you do start to get into that world of oh i'm playing this chord but i really want to make it a minor chord how do i do that oh well if i had a pedal and that would just lower that note or if i had yeah. a lever that would raise it yeah. and it's just evolved to being this beast yeah. of an instrument yeah, yeah. Wow. um so yeah it it as zane said it uh that that that's the function of it um so on top of that, so you've got your pedals and your knee levers. You've got 10 knee levers. Both legs go left and right and vertically. Wow. And then you, you play with uh, metallic finger picks. Um, so you get like a really nice kind of metallic bright sound, um, which kind of cuts through in the EQ. And then you play with the tone bar, which is like, um, it looks like a cannon. It's like a slide. So uh, like a cylindrical kind of, um, yeah, it's not quite like a, like a, a bottleneck, but um, if you type in uh, pedal steel slide to Google, you'll you'll have a pretty good idea of what it looks like. Um, so yeah, it's just like uh, the first two years, you want to give up every day. Like literally, it's <laughs> just like I don't know why I'm doing this. Yeah, I'm not getting sure. anywhere. Yeah, it's just so much slow practice and like um, physically, it's not that hard. Like to start off with, because you're not trying to play fast, but it's just mentally so demanding mm. um i think what one of my friends summed it up perfectly another steel player said um playing the pedal steel is like flying a helicopter backwards with a blindfold on through a tunnel <laughs> <laughs> and still that's so it's it's just like it's all about slow practice and just sure. not getting frustrated like i i don't know how i committed myself to it because usually I don't know, like I lose interest in stuff pretty quickly, but I must really like it, I suppose. <laughs> oh, man, you wail on that thing. I think oh. it's unreal, man. It's so cool. You've, um, is console, is that the right w word, by the way, with describing the console? Yeah. So to be honest, like you wouldn't want to quote me on this, but like with the console, as far as I'm concerned, like aware, like consoles are kind of like, you know, they're like lat steels and they've kind of got legs and that kind of thing. Oh, okay. And like okay. I, I, yeah, as I said, don't quote me on it. I'm not, I'm not too up on it, but um, I, I would imagine my steel would be considered a console as well. Sure. But um, I, I don't know, man. I, <laughs> I need, need to look into that. <laughs> hey, it's, you've got, you've got twin necks on yours. Yeah. Um, yes. what, what are the, what are those, how many strings on each and what, what tunings do you have? Uh, good point. Um, so the breadwinner is the E9 neck, which is the front neck. Uh -huh. um, so the both necks have 10 strings. Mm -hmm. And um, 
it's tuned to an A9. So uh, you've got like um, a whole bunch of suspensions happening within the tuning and every string can be raised and lowered somehow. Um, And the back neck, um, the way of playing the back neck is slightly different to playing the front neck. It's kind of like, um, it's tuned to C6, so it's much, uh, it's much more fitting for kind of Western swing and Hawaiian music. And it kind of like, you use that neck very differently with the pedals. So, uh, with the, with the E9 neck, it's kind of like everything can be just like, uh, changed with the knee levers and the pedals. Um, but with the C6 neck, it's kind of like you'll put down one pedal and then that will change the voice into like an augmented chord. And then you can play any of those 10 notes and it'll work. But with the uh, E9 neck, it's just tuned differently and your approach to playing it, it's like it's a, it's a total different instrument. Wow. I think for guitar players who are used to just six strings, you know, E, A, D, G, B, E. Yeah. <clears throat> The thing that is very confusing about the E neck, the Nashville neck, is that it's not tuned low to high. Yeah. So the highest string is the third string. Yeah. And oh, although, yeah, right? Yeah. And although Jai's saying like, oh, it's tuned to an E9. Yeah. Us guitar players think it must just be tuned like dadgad, right? Like there's yeah. your E9 mm. chord. I can yeah. strum all the strings. Yeah. But it's tuned to chromatic E9, which means yeah, yeah. that the overwhelming majority of notes in the open strings yeah. fit into an E9 chord. Yeah, but you yeah. also do have a major seventh in you. You have a D sharp and a yeah. few extra notes like that that yeah. enable you to sort of have more harmonic options. So if you strum the open strings of an E9 chord, yeah, it, it just sounds like this cluster of notes. Yeah. It doesn't sound like an E9 at so all. So it's not like James yeah, yeah. Brown all, all night long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally, man. That's a shame. But... <laughs> Yeah, so that that that's pretty much like it in a nutshell. And then you've got to uh, you've got to make it sound uh, like uh, fluid and not jarring. Like getting your pedals and your knee levers to work together. So while one pedal is coming up at the same time, you're putting a knee lever down, while your right foot is squeezing the volume pedal, and your right foot is all your right leg is then adjusting another knee lever while trying to play in tune with the tone bar and picking the right grip with your right hand. So it's just like that at any one time, there's like six things happening. Yeah. Wow. How, how long yeah. does it take you to set up for a gig? Uh, well, I remember when I first got it, it would take, you know, 15 minutes and like I'd get distracted because people would come over and ask questions about it. And yeah, then, oh, you know, sure. so I used to get to gigs an hour before so I could like have a drink and, you know, just like, like set up. But now I can set it up in about three minutes wow. and, and pack it down even quicker. Um, but they are heavy. My, my pedal steel in the flight case is like 42 kilograms. Okay. That'll do so it. So it's not, not fun to fly with. Killer man, you, have, you must have a good trolley. Uh, it's got casters, <laughs> fortunately, man. And um, but I'm not at the level where I have a roadie, so uh, it's all done by me. Sure, sure. <laughs> Zane, I see you blasting on a lot of guitars, mainly a Telecaster with with Bardens. Is that your main guitar? Yeah, that's me, number one. Tell me about that. <laughs> I just feel like a Telecaster is the most versatile guitar there is for the kind of music that I play. 
you know i mean i love all types of electric i, mean, I love malmsteen and and that kind of but i don't play that kind of music and so the world that i exist in is um straight up jazz and its variations straight up blues and its variations straight up country music and its variations and then rockabilly and maybe a little bit into sort of classic kind of rock mm-hmm. and i just find that you know, if I'm going to be going to a gig and I don't know if I'm going to get a park right outside the venue, I want to just bring one guitar. And I find that the Telecaster can do that. It sounds fantastic as a jazz guitar. Whereas, like, I don't think, for me anyway, like, strats just have never really cut it as jazz guitars. They just sound too much like strats. Okay. Uh, whereas, you know, the Telecaster, it's the iconic sound for... Um, country music it can sound really funky if you've got to do something that's a bit more motown or stevie wonder yeah it's great for rock music and i found that the one problem i just had with telecasters is that the pickup sometimes can be a bit thin and they can be really penetrating you know it can just be like nails going through you mm. whereas the barden pickups there's this added depth and beef to it they're also hot rails so they're very high output and mm. they're super quiet so, you know, we did, oh, when was it, about five weeks ago, we did a gig um, when our lockdown started to ease, <laughs> and it was pretty loud. Like, I had a, what did I have, a deluxe reverb on seven, wow. so it sounded like a tube screamer, naturally, and the guitar <laughs> yes. was just quiet. I mean, as soon as I took my hands off the strings, it would just start to feed back at that level, but yeah. there was no audible hum. Okay. So, it's a testament to the pickup. So, yeah, they're... When it comes to telly um, pickups, I wouldn't use anything else. Uh-huh. Yeah. And what's They've the, got the pop. Yeah, man. And what, what's the telly? It looks like a 50s reissue or... Yeah. Yep. That's all it is. Just okay. a 50s sort of custom shop. I've modded it a bit. So I, um, you know, it's got like a nitro sort of finish, which is great because it's really starting to wear an age and the lacquer has come off the back of the neck and it, it is starting to get like fret wear like you would get on those old guitars. Yeah, nice. I had the tuners replaced. So I've got, I think they're like Goto vintage Cluson style tuners with oh, yeah. the rolling wheel pincers. Um, on the front, they just look like vintage telly ones. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, cool. I hate how, you know, you get a, with old tellys, you got to put the string in the top yes. and yeah. then it can pop out. So this one is just a bit better, holds its tuning. Another thing I find with Telecasters, that is off-putting is the way they have the ashtray bridge plate. Okay. With yeah. the walls. You know how there's like a wall on three sides of the bridge yep. in a traditional telly? So I've got a fender to just do a, a non-ashtray one. So they've shaved the wall off nice. on either side of nice. the pickup, which means it doesn't cut into my palm when yeah. I'm sort of palm muting. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that's it. Like I've had the, the electronics redone a bunch of times. I mean, I, I probably put close to like six or 70 hours a week onto that instrument so it's you know it's note count and the, the miles i've clocked up with it, it, it has to be sort of prepared yeah. quite frequently yeah yeah oh man the um are you guys you guys are both um working with fender australia is that true that's correct yeah i i jay, jay is a fender artist uh, i come in and help out with things but he's actually yeah Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, Zane. Zane sometimes comes in and like does some stuff with me. But uh, yeah. So no, that it Fender have been amazing. Get a 
get some great stuff from them. And um, it it's actually interesting how it all came about because um, uh, a guy that I follow and he follows me on Instagram um, called Rick Hind, his uh, head of Fender Amps in America. And uh, he he was really digging um, like my pedal steel playing. Wow, awesome. And um, then he got in touch with uh, Heath, who's like the Fender rep in Australia. Yeah, Heath blows. Shout out to Heath. Heath blows. Yeah, shout out to good old Heath. And um, then I went in to meet Heath because I'd never met him before. And um, just, I, I was really interested in some of their new amps. And then, um, yeah, it's just kind of like now I'm doing videos for Fender. And pl- I played at the custom shop event. Zane and I both did that. So right, kind of like they just look after you once you get in like with a, with a, like a good company. It's kind of like you just get opportunities that you wouldn't have got before. Nice. Um, and then, like, you just meet other artists that are with Fender. Like, from that, I met Dan Sultan, and then I've done heaps of stuff with him. Yeah, great. Uh, since then, which has been fun. Yeah. But uh, it, it's funny because I've, like, the dream as a kid was to, like, own a Fender Stratocaster. And now to be um, endorsed by them is just, like, it's a bit surreal. Yeah, man. That's that's killer. <laughs> are you, yeah. I, I saw you rocking the. Um... The new amps, the new deluxes, and the twin, the the lightweight ones. Totally, man. The the Tone Master range. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're amazing. I um, oh man, it's like, I I was playing like I'd borrow Zane's twin a fair bit because he's got like a an actual twin, but after gigging that uh with that amp, it was just like, you know, because a lot of the time I'm just playing in you know, bars, you know, and you have to walk upstairs and like that, that stuff's backbreaking, you know, you've already got that 42 kilo. (laughs) (laughs) Totally, man. Yeah. Like it sounds great, but it's not worth it. Like, you know, it's not worth killing you back. So the tone masters are just ridiculous. I, when, when I gig now, I only use the tone masters. Uh Like it's just, um, the, the sound, is like it. I we had an amp shootout at Fender where we were comparing the Tone Master to the actual twin and the deluxe as well. And I could not tell the difference between the two amps, and we're in a sound chamber, wow, like an isolated chamber. It's just like I think the only thing, and I didn't realize this myself, is that the the Tone Master was just a tiny bit softer, okay. But I, I didn't realize that. It's just when I looked at the dial, it's like the Tone Master was on eight and the actual twin was on six. Sure. We used to turn it up. Yeah, cool. There's, totally. There is a bit of, um, there's more immediacy to the sound that you get with the Tone Master. Mm. Um, you know, with like valve technology, I mean, it's still instantaneous, but it just feels like um, when you're playing, if you're going to strum a chord, like you just you hear it instantly. Uh-huh. Whereas with a valve one, there's maybe, a, a, you know, several one hundredths of a second response time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, like I, I've done a number of gigs on these amps as well and they sound super clean. I, I think, you know, if you're in the studio and you're trying to sound like Stevie Ray Vaughan, then still go ahead and use your super reverbs and everything. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. But at a gig, when it only weighs 10 kilograms and yeah. you're going to be put in the mix with the rest of the band, no one is going to know, and it's a fantastic sound. Yeah, nice. Was that the deluxe yeah. you had on 7 the other night, Zane? That was a real um, valve deluxe. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it was pretty loud. <laughs> and I, um, I had the Tomaster Twin working that yeah. night. Okay. But yeah. yeah, it's got an attenuator in it, so you can, you know – you can like dial in two watts so you can like get it to break up like crazy. Man, that's killer. That's yeah, killer. yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Hey, can we, can we talk about cruise inducers? Because that's uh, like you guys are doing so many projects yeah. everywhere. <laughs> this is one of the ones you guys do together. And also the Banks Brothers, which I'd like to chat about too. But is cruise totally inducers, good. first question, is it a Danny Gatton reference? The band name? Sure is. Nice. <laughs> yes, 10 points. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Well, you got the Bardens, you got the Telly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all coming yeah, together. Yeah. Get, give me the backstory of that band and the uh, the focus. Uh, about the band? Yeah. Yeah, sorry, I did the sound cut out for a second. Um, we, we started about, I don't know, six, six, six years, years ago, ago, I think. Yeah. For just the simple reason of we were, you know, I guess myself, I was a hired gun. I loved playing for people. We'd just come back from Tamworth where we were doing a lot of work for people who were signed to Universal. Mm-hmm. And while it's great playing with, you know, all of the killer players that are up there and the, the Universal artists, there were just so many songs and repertoire choices that I wanted to make that you have no control over when you're just brought in to do a session. And so I was like, well, I'll just start my own band. You know, I want to play at that time up at Tamworth and in the sort of, Australian, I guess even the American country music scene, there wasn't a lot of more traditional kind of country music. That's the stuff that I really love, you know, anything from the 30s up to the mid-60s. And I wasn't interested in creating a museum piece band that did it super authentic. I just wanted to play that kind of stuff in my own way. And I know that Jai, you know, likes that stuff as well. I mean, he's really into the sort of 70s, 80s, 90s kind of country music um, as well. But we just put the band together and with a bunch of friends who love that kind of stuff and found that there was a really good response to it because people didn't have access to live music that was that kind of repertoire. Mm-hmm. And I guess the other thing that we started initially doing rockabilly and traditional honky tonk. And in Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane, there's a very big rock and roll rockabilly community. So. Yeah. I think when we're in Sydney or any capital city, we tend to play more rockabilly because there's just a really big dance community. So everyone will come out with their Chevrolets and pump their hair up. And, uh, yeah, it's just just great playing music that we want to play. And it's sort of led into the Banks Brothers is more of a stripped-down original kind of project because, you know, if we're playing a rockabilly festival, while we have written a bunch of rockabilly tunes, we tend to just play the hits so people can dance to it. And uh, with the Banks Brothers, it means that we can write stuff or or do things that's slightly more intimate, not necessarily dictated by being at a dance beat. Yeah. So, you know, we could do an arrangement of a song or we could bring in some friends and just do um, more of an alt country Americana thing or a blues sound. So there's just a little bit more freedom. Yeah. Uh, I guess the the cruising juices have become so well-known. not so well known, but they've become yeah. known <laughs> in the for scene. a very particular thing. Sure. That the success of that band has almost meant that, like, you know, you have to go there and you have to give the audience what they want, which is great. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. 
I just get restless. So, you know, as soon as I have one thing, I'm like, oh, it's time to, to do more bluegrass or time to play more bebop. And Banks but, Brothers facilitates a little I, bit of that. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and from from um, from the Banks Brothers, like we've uh, uh, led into another kind of um, new uh, outfit, which is uh, Michael Carpenter and the Banks Brothers. Yeah, you've, so, uh, you've just released uh, a tune, Honky Tonka. That's it, man. Nice, yeah, it's nice. um, it's uh, and oh man, we're we're actually doing an album right now. We've just almost finished tracking twelve oh, tunes. That's cool. Um, we did it in two two like five hour sessions in the studio we just smashed it out and um it's there's some really really exciting stuff happening there it's um where oh it's mainly michael and zane songwriting but it's just like 90s country traditional country bluegrass all with like um our own inflection kind of like pedal steel plays throughout like it's part of the the texture it's not just like a featured texture it's like mm-hmm. it's like the acoustic guitar is now the pedal steel so it's just like and then it has time to like showcase you know like in solos and that but we're doing something i don't know we're not doing something like really different but we've definitely got our own spin on it which sounds like all of our personalities like you can tell it's my playing you can tell it's Zane's playing you can tell michael's playing and singing like it's it's like a fresh take on country music Nice. Now, Michael Carpenter, he's from Love Hurts Studios. That, That's yes. Is that the same guy. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And what a, what um, a great studio! I, I see it, pictures and the guitars on the walls. And yeah, it's, a, oh, yeah. it's the best. I, I live two minutes or two minutes away from it. So. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I hang out there all the time. Oh, I love it. It's great. That's so cool. I- Michael is the most talented, well-rounded person I know. Like, there is not anything he cannot do in a in a creative uh, field. You know, like, uh, it's amazing. Like, you know, whether it be, like, you know, like doing a film clip or whatever, or it's, like, playing upright bass. It's just, like, in his studio, like, you... And, and you get that vibe where, where like, anything is possible. Uh-huh. In some studios, it's like a very safe kind of vibe. It's like, which is good, but it's kind of like, you know what you're there to do. It's like, just do your job. But in Michael's, it's like, I'll have a stupid idea, like blah, 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 blah. And then Michael's like, amazing, let's do it. Nice. You know? And it was just like, I mean, half the time it's rubbish, you know, but half the time it's incredible. And that's the, that's, that's the, being a creative, you know, you got to try everything. That's it. Yeah. 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 Very cool. What is there a scheduled release date for the album? Oh. Uh, look, it keeps COVID keeps interfering <sighs> with it. Sure. You know, we were going to. It, it sort of all came about after Tamworth at the beginning of the year, where Michael, I think he'd been venturing more and more into traditional country music, but like us, didn't want to do something that was like a, a tribute band or a museum piece. Sure. And so asked us if we wanted to do a joint record, to which we'd be like, yeah, great. Yeah. And we started doing a lot of prep for it. And then in about mid-March, everything shut down. And we could still exchange ideas online, but we had planned to go into the studio and track everything in like April, which obviously didn't happen. Sure, yeah. And with the easing of restrictions, we sort of got together um, you know, last week and just tracked all of the 
basically we had um, guide guitars and vocals, and then we tracked as a trio live. So live pedal steel. I just had you know live Telecaster just straight into a, a twin reverb, and Michael played bass. Yeah. And so, although there will be some overdubs to the record, there's that sort of immediate live sound. We didn't listen, we didn't rehearse right. anything, we just put the track on, did yeah. about five or six takes, complete takes, and that's it. Okay. Right. Um, and so that's why it's kind of traditional, and it's not, you know, for anyone who's not as familiar with recordings, most albums are not made that way these days. Yeah, um, definitely. definitely. So, exactly. So now it's like, you know, I've got to do vocals and we've got backing vocals, but with this looming second lockdown, I, I just don't know. Yeah. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll find out. Hopefully yeah. by the end of the year. That's, that's the short answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. That's cool. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely keep um, our eyes and ears out for that. That's, that sounds cool. Any, um, we probably need to wrap up soon, but any other things going on that, that the good people should know about? I think probably something that I'm doing, which is like uh, kind of left to centre on the steel, um, like I, I'm constantly recording with different artists and that kind of thing, which is like a lot of fun, but it's normal. It's kind of what you would expect from a pedal steel. But I'm doing, um, I'm collaborating with um, Julian Day, who's um, uh, an Australian composer and uh, ABC radio announcer. Yeah, yeah. Um, and now he lives in New York, and he wants to write me a solo pedal steel piece. Oh, wow, that's awesome! So he's which um, is really. Yeah, no, I I, knew, I didn't know he was in New York. I knew of him when he was in Sydney, and he's got the uh, the most beautiful radio voice. Oh, uh, totally, ever. man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so soothing. I wish I had it. <laughs> Sorry um, to interject, just that guy. Hey, and what's what's the story? What's the piece? What's the what's happening? Um, so so far, we've we've exchanged quite a few emails, and we've had um a video conference together. And um, so as it is, I've just kind of talked him through um, the operation of the pedal steel. Like it, it's in its very early days, but um, just kind of like. It'll be very avant-garde, um, very, very like contemporary classical music. Yeah. Um, and we've we've actually got some pretty well big plans as far as the contemporary classical scene goes. You know, we're not going to be charting with it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Billboard might put us at number two. We won't get number one. <laughs> <laughs> nah, no, we definitely won't get anything like that. Um, but yeah, like we we'll, we'll be doing uh, probably a, a video clip to it. Um, like a like an an art kind of uh, yeah like not a traditional video clip but we'll be recording it in a space and um, it's it's very exciting and I, I'm doing um like a, a classical piece for uh, pedal steel which I've started which is for like a small chamber group okay and wow. uh, yeah so it's coming along but apart apart from all the the usual stuff that's the weird stuff I'm doing right. <laughs> Oh, man, sounds so fun. Keep us up to date, man. That's great. Very yeah, cool. thanks, Fred. And how about you, Zane? I guess, the um, like you were saying, the, the Banks Brothers record's going to be... Yeah, that, I mean, focus. that's been great. With the sort of lockdown, it, it's been, you know, difficult because I've been I've a, a 20-month-year-old daughter and so oh, yep, not yep. gigging. 
I haven't actually been able to do a, a lot of playing when we were in proper lockdown. It was sure. just getting through a day was an achievement yeah, you know, for anyone who has small yes. children. Yeah, yep. Um, well. But the thing, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I've really missed playing. Actually, I was supposed to have a gig on Friday night, but again, with the looming lockdown, it's just been cancelled. Oh, wow. So the thing that I've sort of been doing just, uh, I guess, to keep myself interested in terms of playing and also to help out the guitar community is, I mean, YouTube, as we all know, is such a phenomenal resource. Mm -hmm. And I wish I had access to it when I was a kid. And so what I've been doing is just creating free guitar lessons on a wide sort of scope of topics, everything from how to solo in block chord jazz um, harmonies through to how to bend in tune or vibrato. And just putting them up on YouTube, essentially uh, under the premise of creating videos that I wish I had access to when I was a teenager mm -hmm. you know i used to have right. to go around to all of the old secondhand bookshops and find guitar player magazines from the 80s <laughs> or talk to you know guitar players or yeah. sneak into bars and okay. watch them play yeah. and then get kicked out <laughs> so i've just just been creating this sort of free stuff and putting it up there on the internet and you know sometimes you get a comment people like it but that's been really nice it's, it's a bit like what jai was saying with the thesis you know you write it you put it out there you don't know if anyone watches it yeah but uh just trying to create a catalogue of, you know, like a, a five-part lesson series on how to create bebop jazz lines over dominant seventh chords or Great, understanding man. the caged system. So if anyone wants to look at that stuff, it's all there, Zane Banks on YouTube or yeah. Instagram, the Rev Doctor Z. It's free and it's uh, to help out guitar players. Great, great. I'll put, actually, I'll put links in all the show notes too because you've both got great, heaps of cool stuff on your social media. Um Jai, have you launched your website yet? Oh, um, yeah, man. So that's launching on Friday. Nice. Um, so it's pretty much ready to go. It's just a couple of little glitches I'm ironing out. But okay. um, that's been a lot of fun. I've got um, testimonials from Troy Cassidaly um, and uh, some other big acts, um, like producers and uh, engineers. So that's kind of good just to, uh, you know, if people haven't heard of me, they can find out, you know, or yeah, they might cool. think I'm a hack still, but, you know, we'll see. It's all there. I've got some good media on there. Um, and it's funny because, like, these days, a lot of my traffic is through, like, Instagram and Facebook, but mm -hmm. people keep telling me I need a website for when, you know, I start applying for, you know, festivals for myself because they're like, you know, you need to have, you know, on many different platforms, you know, you, your YouTube and your website. So that's something that I've learned over the last few months is just um, not having everything invested on one platform. Sure, sure. Cool, awesome. Well, yeah, man, you guys, you're killing it. I love it. I love you doing a lot of stuff together. You got your own, uh, obviously, your own work with other bands and, and stuff going on as well. It's it's cool, and you're just um. Yeah, a real gift to the guitar community in Australia, absolutely. So congratulations oh. on what you've done so far. And Oh, thank you. Man, Thanks so much, man. No, you know. no, it's great to talk to you guys. And um, yeah, wish you all continued success with this and we'll be following very closely. Oh, thanks for listening well, thank to, you the, very uh, much. to what we have to say, man. It's very nice. <laughs> All right, there you go, Zane and Jai Banks, two guitar players doing some fantastic stuff. 
right now. Please check out the links in the show notes to both Zane and Jai's respective websites, also the Cruising Juices website. And if you jump on that stuff and their social media, you'll be up to date with the Banks Brothers and all other really great stuff going on in their worlds. Lovely to have them on the show. If you've enjoyed this episode, why not share it on your social media? That really helps me get the word out. And the PayPal tip jar is also open. There's a link to that in the show notes. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in. I love getting these these interviews, these conversations together and sharing them with you. And uh, it's really cool that people are enjoying these all over the world and tuning in. It's, it's very, very cool. So... Stay safe, stay well. My name's Matt Wakeling. You've been listening to the Guitar Speak podcast and I'll catch you next time. Bye now.